Action Network Podcast. 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 If you are even remotely a savage, you'll run these people over in a second. Oh! Welcome into the Action Network podcast. We are presented by the FanDuel Sportsbook. Brendan Glasheen joined by Sean Zarillo and calling in the voice of Billy Ward. Billy, hi. Can you hear us? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Am I on? Am I on air? Is that me? But uh, no, as usual, my internet went out on a Friday. No other day this will happen. So making the best of it. Still got a lot of picks to get in. Oh, it just, it sounds, I just want to get this out of the way. It just sounds so crisp. It's like we've got Billy as our premier guest calling in on the talk radio show. So it's beautiful in my opinion, but we do miss your face. Just wanted to get that out of the way. Billy's here, but you can't see him. Yada, yada. UFC betting preview when we have Zarillo and Billy Ward joining the podcast. UFC London this weekend from the O2 Arena in London. Six fights on the main card, eight prelims. We'll look at underdogs, props, the guy's fight of the night. And we'll finish up with best bets. All of these fights, folks, are streaming on ESPN Plus, a noon Eastern start on Saturday. So ESPN Plus is your go-to spot to watch all of the action in London. Zarella, we'll start with you. Main event, Tom Espinal is the significant favorite on the money line at minus 520. Marcin Tybura at plus 360. So, and we'll get to Billy's luck ratings. Billy has a luck ratings write-up for this week over at Action Network, actionnetwork.com. Aspinall the favorite. How would you assess the fight? Does Tybura have a chance? Is there an angle to bet Tybura? How do you want to break this one down and bet it? Yeah, Tybura absolutely has a chance, but I think he needs to get Aspinall to deep waters. Tom has never been past the second round in his professional career. He's also coming off of a pretty significant injury here, one where he probably hasn't been able to work on his cardio as much going into this fight as he has been in other fights. He's probably mostly working on rehabbing that injury. And considering looking at his career history, the fact that he's lost both fights that have gone beyond seven and a half minutes that ended, you know, slightly in the second half of round two, never been to a third round in his career. And Tybura has five round experience. So it does lend itself to if this fight extends, there's certainly a chance that Marcin Tybura takes over on cardio. He's a guy with good, good takedown defense, decent grappler, likes to spend a lot of time holding his opponents up against the cage, but he can strike too. We've cashed some big tickets on Marcin Tybura in the past. Alexander Romanov bet against him about 350 plus 400. One of my favorite bets I've ever cashed. And I am tempted to fire on Tybura here, not because I don't like Tom Aspinall, but given the red flags concerning the cardio, concerning him coming off of injury, don't know what the explosion is going to look like. So there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical about laying a big number on Tom Aspinall. I believe he's a future heavyweight champion. His skill set is so well-rounded. The fact that he has these very lethal submission skills on top of his really crisp boxing. He's a training partner with Tyson Fury. So really good hands, but he actually started out in MMA as a grappler and has some very lethal Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I believe his dad was also a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner as well. So the way I'm going to bet this fight my Marcin Tiberio alive after round one, after round two, if he's still around and surviving, I think he's very much going to be in this fight. And I would expect Aspinall to have his most success in round one when that speed discrepancy is going to be very big 
So you can jump in probably on a better live number on Tybura if he's alive after the first round. And then if you want to get a little bit crazier, Tybura round three, round four, round five are about 30 to one, 40 to one, and 50 to one respectively. If he wins this fight, it's probably going to be late. And given the fact that Aspinall has never even been through 15 minutes in a fight, let alone 25 minutes, I think if this one does go late, there's a chance Tybura finishes him. So looking for Tybura live, but I think his late round props are potentially worth a stab as well. Let's turn to the voice of Billy Ward. You, in your luck ratings, Billy, you determined that Aspinall is slightly overvalued. You mapped out what Zerillo mentioned. The knee injury returns to the place where the injury happened prior to, was on a nice run. Billy, how would you like to approach it? Because based on your analysis, are you like Zerillo? Do you want to try to play something live or is there something you might like pre-fight? Yeah, I, I don't have a ton to add to Zerillo's analysis. I just don't think the market is baking in the chance that Aspinall's knee is not right yet well enough. He said originally, like not even that long ago, that he didn't think he'd be ready for this card, was hoping to fight a little bit later in the year. But, you know, they they rushed it a little bit because this one's back in London. So the, it's a pretty good line just on the money line of Tiber at plus 350, plus 360. I think Sean's right that if we, especially if we're discounting the knee injury, Tiber's best chance is late. But I don't think it's a crazy idea that Aspinall is just totally not right, can't really move, and gets dominated early just because if that knee's not right, you know, it's going to be apparent real fast. So if Tybura wasn't such a juicy underdog, I would probably go with what Sean's recommending, but I'm more than happy to just take the money line at plus 360. You know, not a huge bet, a little bit of a sprinkle on it, just given the fact that Aspinall might not be all the way right, didn't want to fight this early. And, you know, those knee injuries are a little bit more significant the bigger you are. So I think it's a bigger deal with him than if we were talking about flyweights in a similar situation. Hey, Zarillo, when you're watching this fight, and I know we've talked about live betting on this podcast before, what exactly in terms of the the, the traits or the the approach by Aspinall, what, what, are you might, what might you be watching specifically to be like, okay, this X doesn't look right. This might be a chance to come in on Tybura. And then the numbers obviously have to reflect that as well. Well, I want to see how quick he's closing the distance. Like, you know, when he's standing on the outside and he wants to make an entry in order to engage or land a combination, how quickly he's able to explode and get towards his opponent. If he's able to get in and out and land punches without taking any back, I think that's a good sign that his explosion, his athleticism is back because he should have a big speed advantage in this matchup. So if he's able to enter and exit the pocket, land his strikes, and then avoid getting any landed back on him. I think that's a pretty good indication that his athleticism is back to where it was previously. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, it's really going to be whether he's able to land takedowns, because I think if he's going to finish this quickly, Marcin Tiber is a pretty durable guy. If Aspinall is going to try to land takedowns, whether he's able to finish those off, I think also another good indication in terms of his lower half explosiveness and whether he's able to get a big guy to the ground. So I said he's got pretty lethal submission skills. Uh, he submitted Alexander Volkov very quickly during their fight in London. Um, you know, if the knee isn't right and he doesn't have the cardio necessarily, getting this fight to the mat, laying on top of his opponent and trying to submit him might be the best way to do it and also protect that knee. So I would say look for Aspinall to grapple uh, and maybe his submission props could be even a, an interesting play as opposed to his knockout prop. Tybura, respectable 11 and 6 in UFC, as we mentioned, as we recorded on a Friday morning, plus 360 over at FanDuel. Moving on, favorite underdog for the weekend, Zarello, where are we looking this week? 
Yeah, I'm going with the hometown fighter, Davy Grant at plus 125. Um, you know, Davy Grant has faced a lot of top caliber competition in the UFC and had a lot of close fights with some very good opponents, Cheeto Vera, Adrian Yunez. He's looked really good in his last two fights since those decision losses as well. Uh, submitted Rafael Sunsau and Louis Smoka both in the third round. And Grant, normally a guy who people think has bad cardio, but showing those third round finishes, the tenacity to go for all 15 minutes, I think is very encouraging for somebody who's 37 years old fighting in a lower weight class. You know, it is an it is a concerning age uh, where guys tend to drop off of a cliff from time to time. And his opponent is eight years younger than him. So there's that age gap that we often talk about in terms of a younger opponent improving an older fighter declining. But David Grant, to me, still looks like he's in his prime. I don't know how much longer he's going to stay there, but uh, size advantage about the same here. Um, would say Marcos really has to knock him out early to justify his price tag. Not that he's such a significant favorite, but I don't really see much grappling in this fight. I expect a war on the feet, and I think one of these two ends it inside the distance. I know Marcos is undefeated in his career, but going back through his career record, a lot of those wins over very low-level regional opponents. This is a big step up in competition here against the guy in Davy Grant who's taken on, you know, potential title challengers or, or top 15, top 10 caliber Bantamweights at the UFC level. So Davy Grant at plus 125 not only hits harder, I just think this will be a close and competitive fight and he should have the home crowd behind him. So hopefully we get some influence on the judges' scorecards as well. So plus 125 for Davy Grant. Signing an older fighter, 37-year-old Davy Grant. Yeah, not quite 40, uh, but it's, you know, it's, there's a difference between the the age and the progression of the fight career. Okay. And when they're getting older and they're dropping these fights and they're not looking good or they're not looking quite as good as they used to, quite as sharp as they used to. There's another fighter we'll talk about later who I think kind of fits that criteria. Uh, he's He's looked really good in his last two fights, arguably as good as he's ever looked. So, you know. There's uh there's reasons why athletes might improve in their late 30s when they should be declining uh, that we won't get further into. But yeah, uh, D- David Grant looking as good as ever right now at 37, which is abnormal. And there may be some science behind it, but uh, a guy I want to put my money on for sure. Billy, you have two underdog plays. I want you to weigh in, though, because in your luck ratings write up, you actually think Marcos is undervalued against David Grant. Well, I did, and then the line moved that way, right? So the the yeah. line that Sean's giving you on Davy Grant is a little bit better than it was when I wrote it. Okay. So that's pretty much, you know, what I'm trying to capture with that luck rating. I think the line's about where it is now. You know, I was debating putting Davy or uh, Marcos as one of my bets, but given the way the lines moved, I'm with Sean. If it's you know plus 125, that area or better on Grant, I think that's the correct side. I got Marcos at minus 135 earlier, which you can't find anymore. So. Yeah, kind of with Sean based on where the line's at currently. Not okay. a lot of British and, fighters on this card, too, who who have like a serious potential of uh, raising their star power to a degree. I think David Grant is one of them. So he's definitely going to have the entire crowd behind him. And we've seen that influence judges in the past. Okay, back to the Billy Ward hotline. You have two underdog plays, Billy. Who are they? Yeah, yeah. my first is, you know, Ashmoos. You know, we've only seen him for about a minute in the UFC. I believe he took his fight on short notice. Knocked out Sam Patterson, another British fighter, I think the last time they were here in March. And he's fighting Chris Duncan, who is Scottish, but, you know, kind of the local guy. And I just noticed something on the tape where the way Ashmoos picked up his knockout was the taller, longer fighter threw a kick. 
he stepped in, kind of ate the kick to a degree, but just threw straight shots down the pipe, knocked his opponent out. Then when I was watching Chris Duncan, he was throwing out a lot of kicks with nothing behind him, not really disguising him against Omar Morales. And Morales was able to do kind of the same thing, but with less power where he would catch the kick or eat it a little bit and tag, um, tag Duncan on the way in. So just seeing what one guy really likes to do well against the weakness of someone else and we're getting plus money. I like Ash Moose could also play his knockout props. I think the longer this one goes, probably the less our chance of cashing it is because Duncan's the more technical all-around fighter. But, you know, plus 135, solid chance. I think the striking is going to be pretty close. We haven't really seen much grappling from either guy. And then my other one is Josh Coolibau. Um, he's fighting Lerone Murphy, and it's probably going to be mostly a stand-up fight where I think Murphy has a little bit of an edge. You know, Murphy's definitely got the size on him. But if it does get to any grappling, Coolibau just has a massive advantage. And Sean talks about it all the time, but if we can get grappling upside from an underdog fighter, we're almost always going to take that. I'm a little concerned that Coolibau won't try to wrestle or make it a grappling match and get sucked into brawling with a bigger, faster opponent. But if we can get any kind of grappling out of that, it's going to go really well for him. And all we need him to do is get one or two takedowns and we cash it. So, you know, a little bit of sprinkle on both, maybe half a unit on either, then we're happy if we hit one and ecstatic if we hit both. Featherweight matchup is our featured fight of the night for Zerillo and Billy. We've got Nathaniel Wood taking on Andre Tachi Feely. Feely's at plus 162. Wood, well, looking at FanDuel right now, Wood minus 200. Feely at plus 160. Zerillo, same as we discussed in the main event. Wood's the favorite. Feely, uh, a shorter dog. How are we breaking this one down and how might we want to bet it? Yeah, it's a fun fight. This is a really good MMA fight. Both of these guys are really well-rounded, really skilled across all areas of MMA, striking, wrestling, grappling. Um, Nathaniel Wood has moved up from 135 to 145. I believe this is his second fight at 145 after beating Charles Jourdain. He is smaller, five-inch reach discrepancy, five inches shorter than Andre Feely, but he's much faster. Uh, Nathaniel Wood is a really smooth fighter, extremely skilled. Honestly, you watch him and you you view him as a championship-level talent. He has all the skills. The one concern is the chin because he tends to get wobbled about once per fight. And now that he's moved up a division from 135 to 145, yes, he's not going to have to cut weight and potentially zap himself and, you know, leave his chin a little bit lessened compared to where he is without cutting weight. But at the same time, he's also facing a longer opponent and somebody who probably hits harder. So there is the trade-off of Wood goes up a weight class, has a big speed advantage, but he's also fighting guys who are longer and hit harder than him. And he didn't have the best chin to begin with. I don't think Philly has a great chin either, though, and I expect a pretty high-paced war between these two across, as I said, all levels of MMA, striking, grappling, wrestling. Um, I think the one who's likelier to land takedowns and hold them is probably Nathaniel Wood. Philly attempts takedowns at a higher clip, but his takedown control, his, his offensive top control is not as good as what Nathaniel Wood can offer. I think Wood can actually keep Feely on the ground, maybe even reverse position after Feely takes him down. So Wood to me is the better grappler. He has the faster hands. Feely's advantages mostly come down to size and maybe experience in this division. But I think Nathaniel Wood is actually the better fighter across the board. And when I see a skill discrepancy like that, especially in a fight that I expect to be high paced, 
I kind of lean towards the under. So the under two and a half is a big juicy plus 190. I think that's very interesting. The fight to end inside the distance closer to plus 160. But I'm just going to take Nathaniel Wood to win inside the distance at plus 300. Not a big power puncher by any means, but I think the hand speed differential here is going to be pretty big. And Feely, you know, as Feely, I wanted to mention, right, he's a few years older, four years older. Even in a lighter weight class, it seems like he's a guy who's slowing down just a touch, knocked out in his last fight. Last decision against Bill Algio probably didn't deserve to get it. I thought Algio might have won that fight. Feely maybe stole it with submission attempts, but it seems like that athletic decline is sort of coming for him, even though he's only 33, just because he's in one of those lower weight classes. So I, I really think the speed discrepancy here is going to be massive, and I would expect Wood to land some really crisp combinations and potentially put him down. So Wood inside the distance, plus 300, my bet on this fight. Billy, your luck ratings article still mirrors the odds. Wood, as we said, minus 200. Instead of laying the minus 200 juice, another angle on playing Wood for this weekend? Yeah, I'm looking at the FanDuel special, the uh, round three or decision prop on him at minus 110. Zerlo nailed most of my thought. I think Wood is pretty much better at everything than Andre Feely other than you know size, strength, power, that kind of thing. I don't love that Wood came up a weight class. I didn't think he was an especially big 135 or he didn't look like he was dwarfing his opponents there. You know, normally I'm a fan of guys in their late 20s, early 30s moving up. This is kind of a rare exception. But with that said, you know, the skill level tends to get a little bit lower as you go up the weight class, as does the speed, which is going to be a huge advantage for him. The only, I guess the only way I disagree with Sean a little bit is that I think if Wood gets a finish, it's probably going to be late rather than early. He doesn't have a ton of power, didn't have a ton of power at 135, certainly doesn't at 145. But if he's going to finish you, he throws a lot of body shots, leg kicks, all those things that take time to develop and kind of wear a guy down over time. And then obviously the decision win is probably the most likely outcome here. So we're getting close to even money on round three or by decision. If you wanted to stretch it a little bit or pay a little bit more juice, but increase your win rate anywhere with a same game parlay and going over one round, over one and a half, those are viable options too. You know, I think round three finish is probably ironically the likeliest time for Wood to pick up a finish when normally those rates decline over time. So if we wanted to get real juicy, you could go round three finish, kind of take the best of both of our bets. But I'm happy getting him in round three or by decision at minus 110. I'm glad Billy mentioned the leg kicks. That is a big advantage for Wood in this fight and a big weapon for Wood to use in this fight. You know, having that five-inch reach discrepancy, needing to sort of find ways to enter the pocket. Well, one way he can do that is to chop down Philly's lead leg from the outside. And then eventually, once he slows down, look to close the distance and box him up a little bit more. So yeah, leg kick's going to be a huge tool for Wood sort of breaking down that reach discrepancy here. Let's turn to the prop market for UFC London again this weekend at the O2 Arena in London. Zarilla, where uh, do you see value in the prop market for this coming Saturday? Yeah, uh, there's a few inside the distance props that I like, but, but probably my favorite amongst them, as I've just mentioned, Nathaniel Wood, is Julius Stoyarenko in the co-main event. At plus 275, you could also better to win in round one at plus 600. She's a bit of a submission specialist, but she's the bigger fighter here in this matchup. And we've seen Molly McCann have a grappling deficiency in the past. Her last fight against Aaron Blanchfield absolutely dominated on the map, but that's not the first time that has happened. Um... Stolyarenko, four-inch reach advantage, three inches taller. I don't think that's necessarily going to help her 
in the striking. She does have a striking background in a sport called Lethway where headbutts are illegal and it's it's a completely bizarre sport that is like MMA, but somehow even more violent. Um, but I think McCann has the clear striking advantage here, probably the power advantage too, and maybe even the durability advantage on the feet as well. Molly is a little tank on the feet, but if Stoliarenko gets her down, I think she's going to put her in serious trouble. So I like this fight to end inside the distance. It's juiced to about minus 200 um, in a division women's flyweight where fights probably go to a decision. I'd say closer to 60% of the time than finish 60% of the time or 70% of the time. So a very juiced up fight to end inside the distance prop. But it also seems like a very binary matchup where one of the other finishes. But I would actually give more finishing equity to Suliorenko. I, I would say McCann is likelier to win a decision with her striking um, then, you know, Stoliarenko is just going to fold. So rather than laying that minus 300 fight to end inside the distance, I'd rather bet Stoliarenko at plus 300, plus 275. Then, as I said, her round one prop as well. Uh, the weigh-ins to watch, certainly for this fight. Stoliarenko took her last fight, I believe, at 145. She's always had trouble making 125. She's coming back down to 125 here. I think it's very unlikely she makes the weight. So we'll see if this fight even goes off if McCann has to take a catchweight bout, but uh, odd booking, but Stoli Ranko is just bigger. She's just bigger. And if she gets her down early, she's going to put her in trouble. Our UFC betting previews are presented by FanDuel and Billy. Once again, you have a FanDuel special to share with us for your prop. What might that be? Yeah, real quick before we get to that, the weigh-ins were earlier today because of mm -hmm. the time change and uh, Stoli Ranko made it no problem. I was surprised too. Oh. That is shocking. Yeah. So, who knows what she walked around at. Maybe she wasn't really cutting at 145, but yeah. Uh, moving on, I could not let this event get past us without talking about our favorite fighter, Paul Craig. It is just hilarious watching Paul Craig fight. You know, he paints his face like Braveheart at the weigh-ins. Super intense guy, screams in your face. Then he proceeds to come out, get punched in the face a million times while trying to pull guard, and occasionally pulls a crazy submission out of nowhere when we all thought he was already unconscious. So the, the typical Paul Craig fight is either Paul Craig gets knocked out pretty violently and we worry about his health and safety for a while, or in the midst of getting knocked out pretty violently, Paul Craig lands some crazy submission and just looks like a wizard who makes guys tap out out of nowhere. FanDuel is offering a bet at plus 155 where you win if Paul Craig gets his submission or Andre Muniz, his opponent, gets a TKO. I would love just Andre Muniz TKO at plus money at this point. You know, Craig is getting older, been knocked out pretty badly a couple times, cutting to 185, which also made weight, so maybe not a big deal. But then to get the Paul Craig submission, which is his likeliest win condition on there, is a huge gift. I think this one, I, I like the Paul Craig sub odds just by themselves. Andre Muniz is also a grappler, so he might be a little bit more willing to engage with Craig on the mat than many of his past opponents. But just an interesting prop, you know, we talked in our experts guide about all the new props coming out all the time. This is one I kind of just stumbled across and it plus 155. I love it. This, this one feels like it should be almost even money. So just to get both those guys, most likely win conditions and we get to enjoy the weirdness that is a Paul Craig fight. So plus 155 taking that one. Anything to add on Paul Craig, Sean Zarillo? So I'm not sure if Billy really said it, but Paul Craig moving down here. Uh, or he might have moved down in his last fight from 205 to 185, which is a big drop for him. Um, he was never the biggest light heavyweight, but also he looks really sort of sucked out fighting at middleweight now. So 
durability that was already a serious question mark at 205. Uh, middleweights don't hit significantly lesser than the light heavyweights do. I, I'm just very concerned about Paul Craig's chin. And, you know, just taking a straight up Andre Muniz knockout prop, I think could be interesting. Oftentimes when you see two really good jujitsu practitioners fight off, they end up having a slugfest where, you know, you get two strikers wrestling. Sometimes the guys try to compete in the style that they think they might have an advantage in that they assume their opponent doesn't because it's not their primary skill set. So I could end up seeing some sloppy striking fight here where one of them gets knocked out. Craig throws really hard too, but Muniz at knockout uh, plus 430 saw, certainly caught my attention. As Billy said, he could land a knockdown and then, you know, Craig throws up a triangle and finishes him the other way. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't love the matchup for Craig against the guy with better Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, but I think we might see like a really sloppy, funny brawl between these two submission artists. Well, Billy mentioned- quick to jump oh. in on that. Uh, sure. Neither of these guys can wrestle, right? They both have excellent mm-hmm. submissions, but can't really get takedowns of their own. Yep. But we don't really see either of them defensively wrestling at all because no one ever tries to take them down. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of who shoots first, if one of them has defense, or if Paul Craig just does his horrible shoot for a double leg, realize I'm not going to get it, then flop to my back routine. Because if he does that, I think Muniz will probably just pounce and knock him out. But we'll see. It should be just a hilarious fight to watch. I'm really looking forward to both my bet and watching this one. When they are striking too, Craig's going to be throwing with intent. You know, his, his technique is not good, but he does throw hard. He tries to hurt his opponents. He's not jabbing. He's like winging hooks and overhands and actually trying to hurt his opponent. So Paul Craig by knockout at plus 1400. I mean, it's not, it's not the worst angle in the world either. I, I, as Billy said, neither of these guys are good offensive wrestlers. It's very possible that this just turns into a striking fight. So taking fight ends by KO either fighter by knockout, I think could be a fun way to play this uh, based on the opposite of how they would normally fight. But that's when you get two guys like this. Sometimes that's how it goes. Just a ridiculous understatement to say that his striking is bad and he throws hard. Like both of those are extreme, extreme examples of that. Billy on the hotline has been phenomenal. Plugging FanDuel specials, also the expert's guide to betting UFC. Episode is available now on the Action Network podcast. For anyone interested, Billy and Sean join Maria Marino on that episode. So to reference what Billy's talking about, you can listen to that as well. Just a general outlook on betting the UFC. Before we go, final bet, best bet. I'm always fascinated to find out which category it might fall in, Zarillo. Each uh, each of you, Billy and Zarillo, have a money line play to wrap up the pod on this Friday morning. Zarillo, your money line pick for uh, UFC London to take us home. Yeah, I'm going to go with Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. He is the more skilled fighter here. He's the bigger fighter here. It is the issue that we talked about a couple of weeks ago with Shannon Ross, or like it comes up from time to time. Hmm. When we bet Jason Witt, I'm afraid anytime he takes a punch that he might get folded up and collapse. Uh, he just does not have a good chin, but he is clearly the more skilled fighter here. He's four inches taller. He has a five-inch reach advantage. He's also a southpaw. And southpaw fighters going against orthodox fighters tend to win about 55% to 45% of the matchups. Um, There's just an inherent advantage with the southpaws and orthodox fighters not being used to facing them where southpaws are often facing orthodox fighters in the gym. So some fighters just don't adjust as well to southpaws. But that's, you know, the size, the southpaw, like there's a lot of built-in advantages for Roberts in terms of physicality 
on top of the skill discrepancy here, Parsons was losing his contender series fight. Uh, basically, his opponent, Solomon Renfro, gassed out. I think Parsons was gifted a decision. Probably shouldn't even have a UFC contract. Roberts just, you know, has fought a lot of high-level competition. This is essentially a step down for him against the guy making his debut. There's no reason why this should be a pick aside from the fact that he might get knocked out. So I made him closer to about 60% in this matchup. I would bet him up to about minus 125, minus 130. Um, the inside of the distance also, I think, is interesting as well. I should mention with Parsons, since that contender series win, he's had other fights booked that were canceled because he was dealing with concussion symptoms. So both guys, you know, have potential durability concerns considering Roberts often gets knocked out and Parsons is literally coming off of a layoff that was related to concussions. Uh, but that that just kind of makes me like Roberts more if the durability is going to be a question on either side. So yeah, pretty easy bet for me to make. Um, and if Roberts loses, he's going to get cut and I never have to bet on him again anyway. So that's that. A lot of chin talk on this episode today. Mm. I'm enjoying the, the, ch- the chin references. Billy, money line play for you before we go. Yeah, love the uh, if a guy loses, he's going to get cut, and then I don't have to worry about him logic. I'm going to start start <laughs> stealing that too. But uh, yeah, this is another one I discussed in the luck ratings. I can't believe this line. Well, this line did move, and then it came back a little bit, but it's Jafel Filo. And if people don't remember, he fought Mohamed Mokayev the last time they were in London. Mokayev, like, probably the most touted 125-pound prospect we've seen in a while. And Philo had Mokayev in a fully extended knee bar. Can't believe Mokayev survived it. And then when he lost that, this is deep into the third round, you know, he clearly dumped dumped the tank trying to finish that knee bar. When that didn't work, kind of just gave in, got tapped out after that. But to look as good as he did in his debut against Mohamed Mokayev, I was really impressed. I also think the UFC was impressed and is giving him a little bit easier of a fight against the debuting Daniel Berez this time not a ton of tape on Berez don't know a lot about him but Berez did lose his Dana White contender series bout back in 2021 before being given another shot so Filio Filo looks like he certainly belongs here I don't know that we can say that about Berez and just like Zurillo with Roberts I'd take him to probably bet him at minus 125 minus 130 the minus 110 on FanDuel just feels like a gift all right fellas Billy Good luck to you and the uh, the camera feed, the Wi-Fi, whatever you need to, uh, so we can see your face again. Yep, hope to be back uh, next week at the very latest. Uh, looking at you guys, it still sounds awesome. Just the, the the talk radio guest caller vibe. It it sounds so good, but yeah, we it's odd see. that the static adds an element of expertise, but it does. Especially when he plugs the FanDuel specials and the experts guide. That just pro, absolute pro. Uh, you can find Sean Zarillo and Billy Ward in the Action Network app. You won't see their faces, but you will see anything they add uh, for tomorrow's card. And keep an eye, especially on that main event with Aspinall and Tybura. Any live ads by the guys, you can check that out in the Action Network app. Again, the full card streaming on ESPN+. Plus. At Sean noon, Zarillo and Bill- get those bets in early, noon, noon Eastern. Noon Eastern start, that's right. So you got to get those in and then do whatever you need to do to enjoy and 
for the, from the sound of it, it looks like it sounds like a lot of fights that we're going to bet and enjoy watching at the same time, which doesn't always occur. Yeah, um, you know, when you get 15 fights, uh, the volume approach, you're going to end up hitting on a few that work. So glad, uh, glad every fighter made weight. I uh, just I hate handicapping these 15 fight cards. It's too many fights. I'd rather have 12. Makes it a bit easier to hone in on them. But yeah, a lot of potential action across 15 fights. There's if you can't find something to bet on, uh, I don't know what you're doing. So that'll do it for our UFC London betting preview. Again, we will join you next week here on the Action Network podcast for UFC betting previews. Thanks for tuning in. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.